I don't know how many of you read Farming Life in the newsletter on a Saturday. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I read it, and I especially look at the back to see if there's any farms for sale, but I'm definitely not going to buy a farm. But if you got the Farming Life yesterday, you would have noticed that there's a little ad in it from Ballydown Presbyterian Church to their Equip Conference. And it's actually speaking about the person who's actually speaking at that conference. He's a man called John Lawson, and he has an interesting background. He's written a book called If a Wicked Man. Now, let me read you a little bit about John. John is a former violent criminal, biker, gang member, bodyguard, and enforcer of gangsters. His life was changed when he was in prison serving a five-year sentence for extortion. And then it goes on to say this, today he visits prisons all over the world to share his message that transformed his life. That's an interesting story, I'm sure, and you could read the book. Now, I want to speak to you this morning about that message that transformed that man's life and has transformed the lives of many, many others. It's a message that we hear quite often in this pulpit. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus Christ crucified for you and me to redeem us and pardon us. One writer puts it like this, the unpopularity of the crucified Christ has prompted many to present a message which is more palatable to the unbeliever. But the removal of the offense of the cross always renders the message ineffective. An inoffensive gospel is an inoperable gospel. Thus, Christianity is wounded in the house of his friends. I think that sums up pretty well much of what's going on at the present time. Now, Paul says here in the 16th verse of this first chapter, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There was a view in Rome that Paul hadn't come to them simply because he was ashamed of the gospel. And he writes here to tell them that he's hoping to still come, and he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I want to consider with you a little while this morning why Paul was not ashamed of this gospel. I believe Paul was not ashamed of this gospel because the origin of this gospel is divine. It is not a gospel that has been thought up by men. It's not a gospel that has been thought up by church organizations or some great session met together to discuss these things. Friend, the gospel comes from God, and it's divine. In fact, our text speaks about the gospel of Christ, and it speaks about the power of God. I remember when a student once, a lecturer saying to us, the gospel is not essentially a message. The gospel is a person. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. My friend, if this gospel in its origin is divine, then this gospel is a perfect gospel. It's a perfect gospel. There are no flaws in it. There are no supplements needed to it. There are no alterations needed to it. It's perfectly suited for the needs of every human being on the face of the earth. When we tinker with this gospel, then it becomes imperfect. And sadly, I think that's sometimes what we're doing, tinkering with the gospel. 
You know, we talk today about trying to make the gospel relevant to this generation. Men and women, the gospel is relevant in itself because it's a perfect gospel, and it came from the heart of God. It came from a non-defiled trinity. And the second thing is this. If the gospel is divine in its origin, it is not only a perfect gospel, it's a pure gospel. There's no human hand or unclean hand has touched the gospel in its, in its origin. It came from the heart of God. It came undefiled. In its origin, it was not perverted in any way. In its origin, no sinful being or any human with sin had any influence upon this gospel. The gospel is a gospel that's divine in its origin. And because of that, it's perfect. And because of that, it's pure. The sinless, pure trinity united to produce and provide the greatest thing that the world has ever received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, sadly, it has been tinkered with, but it's pure coming from God himself. It was John Calvin who once said, wherever the gospel is preached, it is as if God himself came into the midst of us. And remember, God is holy, pure, holy. And thank God for a gospel that we can recommend to men and women that has no flaws, that is ideally suited, that's perfect and pure. But furthermore, friend, it's a powerful gospel. I say more about that in a moment. Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation. Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he says, for this gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. You know, the gospel is not about the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is not telling us how we can lift ourselves up from sin. Friend, the gospel is the power that does that. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary, he says this, the gospel is God's way of saving us. It is God's power producing salvation in us, in us. And other commentators have made the same statement. Friend, the gospel is a powerful gospel. It's not telling us about the gospel. It's the gospel itself that is powerful and mighty to save and strong to deliver. But you know, there's another little thing I want you to notice. If this gospel is divine in its origin, it's not only perfect and pure and powerful. This gospel is a protected gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? I simply mean that God will never let the light of the gospel die out. It costs too much for God to let the gospel flicker out and disappear. In the 1950s, when communism swept into mainland China, missionaries were expelled, and the Chinese authorities felt they had snuffed the gospel out. Did they do it? No, no. Friend, there are millions of Christians in China today, and they tell us there are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. You see, the gospel is a protected gospel. One student who came out of China a little while ago, he said this, when God lifts the curtain on China, it will stagger us what he's been doing. The gospel is not going to die out. And when it does flicker out in some places, it's alive in many other places. A few years ago, Mabel and I were in Brazil 
And we were way up in the northeast corner of Brazil. That's only a, a few years ago. It was as hard as rock. One missionary described it as plowing in granite. What's happening in the northeast of Brazil today? Friend, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. New churches are being established and God is working. You see, the gospel is a protected gospel. And if it does flicker a bit in some places, it's alive and well in other places. David Gardner was a man who wrote a, a very challenging book some years ago. He, the title of the book was A Warning to the Nation. And in that he says this, God will not allow the light of his truth to be covered up indefinitely. So Paul is unashamed of this gospel because it's divine in its origin. And because of that, it's a perfect gospel. It's a pure gospel. It's a powerful gospel. And it's a protected gospel. But the second thing is this, Paul is not ashamed of this gospel, not just because it's divine in its origin. He's unashamed of this gospel because the operation of this gospel is dynamic. The operation of this gospel is dynamic. Paul said it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The power of God. Again in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul writes, For the gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. The origin of the gospel is divine, but the operation of the gospel is dynamic. And you know that, and I know it, if you've been redeemed. We know what God has done for us. Think of what God has done for this man who's to be speaking at that church there in Banbridge. God has rescued him. The gospel has proved to be power. The first thing is this, the dynamic of the gospel, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. That's part of the gospel. There's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. This is God's work. The Holy Spirit is the, the Spirit that will reveal sin. I can remember very well as a teenager, sitting in services and listening to the gospel being preached, and I felt that man had been told things about me, but it was the Holy Spirit working in my life, the Holy Spirit revealing my need, the Holy Spirit pointing out to me that I needed God's saving grace. And this gospel is, in, is, is, is outworking, friend, is dynamic. And there's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. And we know it if we've been born again. We know what it's like to have sin revealed. God intended this gospel to arouse us, to bring us to a sense of need, a consciousness that we are lost without him, destined for a, an undone eternity. John Newton, in one of his hymns, he, he puts it like this. And a lot of Newton's hymns are written out of his own personal experience. He says, I saw my sin, his blood had spilt and helped to kneel him there. I saw my sin, his blood had spilt and helped to kneel him there. Folks, this is the dynamic of the Holy Spirit revealing sin. Some years ago, there was an Anglican minister in York, and you may have heard of him. David Watson was his name. He died as a comparatively young man with cancer. 
I heard him make this statement once, and I've never, ever forgotten it. He said, today's gospel is only designed to make the prodigal more comfortable in his pigsty. Do you get it? Today's gospel is only designed to make the prodigal more comfortable in his pigsty. Men and women, the gospel is designed to rescue men and women. It's designed to reveal sin in us. The dynamic of the Spirit to reveal sin, to bring us to a consciousness of need. And oh, how we need that in the world that you and I live in today. You know, no person will ever be in heaven until through the gospel and the power of the Spirit, they come to realize they're lost and they're deserving of God's judgment and God's wrath. So Paul is unashamed of the gospel because in his outworking, it's dynamic. There's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin. But secondly, there's the dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin. The dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin. Friend, the law could show people they were sinners, but it couldn't remove their sin. A mirror can show you that your face is dirty, but that mirror cannot wash your face. But thank God the gospel can do both. The gospel can reveal your sin, and the gospel men and women can remove that sin through the blood of Christ. You know, Paul was a, a great man for using the, the term take away. If you read his epistles, you'll discover he uses this again and again. Take away. Take away sin. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do, friend, reveal, but the blood of Christ will remove that sin. And you know, if the gospel does not take away sin, it's a fraudulent gospel. It's a fraudulent gospel. When William Booth of the Salvation Army was alive, he said of the 20th century, he said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be a religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. Well, friend, a gospel with those characteristics will do nothing for any needy, unconverted soul. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because in its origin is divine. In its outworking, it's dynamic. The dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal that sin. The dynamic of Christ's blood to remove that sin. Didn't Charles Wesley put it like this? He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. But there's another thing. Not only, friend, is it the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin in the gospel, the dynamic of Christ's blood to remove sin, but there's a dynamic of God's grace to resist sin. I vividly remember before I became a Christian, I was tortured almost with this idea, what will I do if I trust Christ as my Savior? How could I live? How could I avoid sin? How could I resist sin? I didn't reckon in the fact that within the power of the gospel, there was the gospel of God's grace to enable me to resist sin. Resist sin. This is the power of the gospel. Is it any wonder Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of this gospel? 
And Paul writes again in Romans 6 and 14, he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. Sin will not master you anymore. Augustine was one of the early church fathers or leaders, and his parents wanted him to get a, a good education, so they sent him to Rome to be educated. But sadly, sadly, Augustine got into the company he shouldn't have been in. He led a very sensual, sexual life. But then he was wonderfully and powerfully converted, and the story of his conversion is fascinating. He had to go back to Rome after his conversion, and one day he was walking through the streets of Rome, and he saw this lady that he had frequented with before his conversion. She saw him, and she shouted out, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And Augustine replied, it is not I, it is not I. I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The power of, the, the power of God's grace to resist sin is seen vividly in Augustine's life. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because the origin of the gospel is divine, the operation of the gospel is dynamic. And thirdly, Paul is not ashamed of this gospel because the outcome of this gospel is desirable. Friend, what's the outcome? Paul tells us here in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Can you tell me anything more desirable than God's salvation? Folks, it's the most wonderful thing that any human being could ever experience, God's saving grace, God coming to us in salvation. And the outcome of this gospel is desirable. It brings salvation. Salvation from sin's past. Isn't it marvelous to think that our past can be blotted out? Human beings may not forget it, but God forgets it. He'll blot it out. When Paul was writing to the Colossians, he spoke about having forgiven all your transgressions. And then he says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was, that was contrary to us. He took them out of the way, kneeling them to his cross. What a powerful text. And even way back in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, we read, I even I am he that blotteth out your transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember your sins. Remember that lovely hymn that was written out of a, a tragic experience by Horatio Spafford. The hymn is, It is well with my soul. In the hymn he has this verse, My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Powerful truth. And Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because of all these things. Salvation from the past. But friend, there's salvation from sin's power. Paul again has quoted it already. Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion or mastery over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Paul is clear about this matter. Salvation from sin's past, but salvation from sin's power. 
Now, this doesn't mean, friend, that sin won't attack us, that sin won't try to get us down, but it does mean that there's something there that enables us to resist this sin. Sin is a powerful thing. Sin is an ugly thing. Sin is unbelievably powerful. But thank God in the gospel, there's enough power to enable us to resist sin and enables us to experience salvation. Salvation from sin's past. Salvation from sin's power. But there's also salvation from sin's penalty. No penalty. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And John writes in chapter 5 and verse 24 of his gospel, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth my word and believeth in him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. He used to sing an old hymn years ago, and it went like this. The wrath of God that was our due upon the Lamb was laid, and by the shedding of his blood the debt for us was paid. How calm the judgment hour shall pass for all who will obey the word of God and trust the blood and make that word their stay. Salvation from sin's past, salvation from sin's power, salvation from sin's penalty. But you know, there's salvation from sin's very presence. First Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Folks, when that happens, we are free from sin's very presence. You know, you travel around the country, you'll see sometimes stuck in pools, this is a, a, a smoke-free zone, or this is a, a, an alcohol-free zone. You know, there's a day coming when those of us who have trusted Christ and experienced this gospel that Paul is writing about will be in a sin-free zone. Sin will not be there. And this is what salvation does for us. I haven't time to give you a lot of stuff in this this morning because time is going. But Charles Wesley wrote, Rejoice! in glorious hope. Jesus the judge shall come and take his people up to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the archangel's voice. The trump of God shall sound rejoice. And in that lovely hymn of Henry Francis Light's Abide With Me, he says, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks. And earth's vain shadows flee. Men and women, when that happens, we'll be where sin doesn't exist. We'll be where sin is no more. And Robert Burney makes Shane put it so beautifully in one of his uh, poems or hymns. He says, When I stand before the throne dressed in beauty not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Loving God with a non-sinning heart. In the very place where sin doesn't exist, loving him with a non-sinning heart. Salvation brings us this blessing of being free from sin's penalty. 
I came across this statement by Dr. J.I. Packer, and I thought it was an, an exceptionally good one. He says, there will be no sin in heaven, for those who are in heaven will not have it in them to sin anymore. Let me read it to you again. There will be no sin in heaven, for those who are in heaven will not have it in them to sin anymore. Oh, how wonderful that's going to be. How precious, how real. Something to look forward to. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the origin of the gospel is divine. The operation of the gospel is dynamic. And the outcome of the gospel is desirable. God's wonderful salvation. Now, I haven't time to deal with this, but notice in the fourth place, the offer of the gospel is defined. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friend, that's how you receive it. That's how you enter into it. Let me give you a quotation again from the man I mentioned at the beginning, Godfrey Wilson. He's an English Baptist preacher, and he says this, this salvation is universal in its scope. Its saving power is restricted to those who believe. That's the origin of the gospel, friend. It's divine. The outworking of it, the operation of the gospel is dynamic. The offer of the gospel here is defined. Let me finish with reading you this little article. She shows something of the power of the gospel. The name of Charles Darwin will be known to all of you, I'm sure. In 1836, Charles Darwin returned to Falmouth in the south of England, ending a five-year surveying expedition in the southern Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. He described the cannibals who lived in the South Sea Islands as primitive creatures, and, were con and he was convinced that nothing on earth could possibly, possibly lift them to a higher level. He thought he had indeed found a lower stratum of humanity with, which was not fit for anything, only to prove to him the theory of evolution. However, 30 years later, Charles Darwin returned to those places. He found those places had schools, had churches, had homes occupied by some of the cannibals. In fact, many of them wore clothes, he said, and they would frequently sing hymns. Charles Darwin, how do you describe him? Certainly didn't think of God much. Charles Darwin was so impressed as he discovered that this had happened because a Scottish missionary called John G. Payton had gone there to minister the gospel. And he was so impressed by the change that took place in their lives that Charles Darwin, he sent a substantial subscription to the London Missionary Society. Why do I tell you that, friend? To prove what the gospel can do. It changed a group of people. It changed an island. And that's the gospel Paul says, I'm not ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will set your seal to what has been said in your will. And we ask, Lord, if anything has been said that should not have been said, you will take it away. So, Lord, we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.